Hi, I'm Rick. And I'm Renee. This week we're ranting about what scares us every October. And this episode's Fuck You of the Week goes out to internet pranksters. So stick around. episode of The Rant. So how are you doing, Ernie? I'm doing all right. All three vaginas are uh, are thriving. That's good. That, that third one, that's the, that's the, that's the important one. It is. It is. It's the most sensitive. It also, sometimes, I mean, it feels a little isolated from the other two. Like, it just, sometimes it feels a little left out. So, you know, I, it's, it's doing okay this week, though. Thank you for asking. I really appreciate that. And, uh, oh, speaking of three vaginas, the latest on what we here in the Rand Studios are referring to as Hooker Watch. It seems our fake feline was uh, last spotted, narrowly defeating Trump in the latest polls. Uh, we will be updating our listeners with Cougar Watch in upcoming episodes. Always a treat to catch a rare glimpse of a purple suit jacket in the wild. Isn't nature magical? Hmm. What's going on with you, Rick? Well, that's, I mean, that's great that we're going to have a, a potentially a, the first uh, feline nominee for a major party in this country, which, which is just fantastic. So, I mean, it, it was, this week was going very well for me until the other day. Um, I actually, I came home. Uh, and your wife had left you? No, 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 no. Um, that would make her week, though, probably. Uh, no, I, I actually came home and a, uh, about a 15-foot-long branch had fallen off a tree that's uh, near my front yard. And it sort of wiped out my, it wiped out my front stairs, and super annoying to deal with. Nobody's hurt or anything, um, but it, you know, it did get me thinking. You know, ten feet to one side, and that that could have been a really scary situation. You know, I, I have pets, and I you know, obviously I don't want the front of my house ripped open by a branch. And you know, it really got me thinking about this week's topic, which was, you know, like we like we talked about. So what what scares us? What we you know, go back to every year around this time of year? Yeah, no, absolutely. We are definitely going to, um, it's October, so we're definitely going to be talking about what scares us, what makes us shit our pants, you know, obviously Rick, someone dropping a house on him. Yeah, my, definitely, my, it my, sounds my, like it really rattled him. Yeah, my sister avenged me, so I heard. Yeah. Rest in peace, Alphaba. Someone put the pox on his house. Yep. But I think, I think, I, well, I'm really fascinated by what scares us and what scares different people because it's so unique to each person. It's formed by both nature and nurture. It's not built into our DNA and it can evolve or devolve over time. And so what scares one person might not scare another person. And I think that just the psychology of horror period is just really, really fascinating. But what we're going to do tonight is we're going to dive into some of our, uh, Top five fave movies to watch in October that we watch every year. And so what's the first one you got, Rick? Well, let me lead into this one with a little bit of a story about me. And Oh god, here we go. Yeah. So when I was when I was a kid, I'm talking I'm talking grade school, I was uh I was a I mean I was I was not the bravest child. I was uh but I, I you know, I would see you know a not that we're gonna we're not gonna talk about him much, but I'd see, for example, a picture of Freddy Krueger, and I'd have nightmares for a week. Yeah, I did too, definitely. Right. Uh, um, even just commercials for those movies when I was younger, like terrified me. Right. Yeah. And you, I, I really, as I as I grew up, I I wanted to you know, inoculate myself almost against these things. So I really, you know, I I, I, I really try to track down and watch every movie I could and you know, every horror movie I could and really you know build up a tolerance to this stuff because I'm really just sick of being scared by this stuff all the time. That being said, uh, my the first movie I want to talk about today is one that's sort of legendarily, I mean even from the title, is legendarily maybe one of the more, you know, at least has the, a, a very reputation for being a very kind of hardcore movie. And that's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is uh, it's Toby Hooper's movie. 
1974. We're talking the original. The remake is, is pure trash. Um, well, it's just remake after remake. It's just the same movie over and over again. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, could, we could sing the same song about a lot of horror movies from this era where they're just remade and it's, it's, it's not nearly as good as the original. But the original is truly a classic. And the reason why is because you can watch it to this day and it feels very almost naturalistic. You could, you know, if this was a different time, this almost would have been, I think, a found footage movie because you're in there with these characters and you're experiencing this with them. You're, you're picking up the hitchhiker with them. By the way, we're going to probably be spoiling the majority of these movies today. So if, if you, if you haven't seen these, we'll be telling you which movie it is. So if you haven't seen it, you may want to skip ahead. Yeah. But it's it's very naturalistic, and it is actually it's very rawly made, and b- oh, a big part of that it's very raw, and it's because it was made on a, a shoestring budget. It was yes. made for barely any money, and that's actually a theme with the, the movies I'm bringing here. They're very shoestring. They're very uh, do it yourself. Um, but I mean, and this was and even in the beginning, the opening narration is you know based on a true story, and a lot of people believe that for a long time. But the interesting thing about this is that the film itself is essentially bloodless. For a movie about cannibals and yet chainsaw massacre, there's, I mean, there's some, there's definitely violence, but it's not, it's not gory. It's it's visually shocking. You're right. There isn't a lot of a lot of blood. It's almost like what everything looks like after the blood is gone. Yes. And it's, it's the, it, that's the psychology of horror right there. Like, it, it fucks with you the same way the family fucks with the victim. Right. And, and people, I think, remember this as being the most violent movie ever, where it's not the case. Now, I would say, you know, maybe one thing about this movie's legacy, which isn't the best, is that I think it really did directly lead to a lot of movies that I don't like. You know, the torture porn genre. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Saw and... That's the only thing... So so that is... That's the only real problem that I really have with... It really really did kick off an entire era um, of basically Eli Roth's wet dreams. Um, But, like, it's just... It's mostly... It's torture porn, which is why it's very, very hard for me. I I don't... I can't watch torture porn. It's very hard for me to watch. Um, I was at a midnight screening of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This is going back like maybe 15 years ago. And Gunnar Hansen was there, who played Letterface, was there to speak. And he did a whole Q&A. He was also, he was in a movie that he was um, promoting, which was part of that. And they showed it was a short film. And it was awful. (laughs) And he... He was there promoting it, but he did a huge Q&A, and he talked about the making of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which really put Toby Hooper on the map as in, in the film industry, but also in the horror genre in general. But, you know, when, there's a scene where, for example, there, um, there's a woman screaming, and they're, they're hitting her with the broom. They actually, when she passes out, that's real. They hit her, apparently, so hard, so many times with the broom, they knocked her out. So, like, when this movie, there are no, like, there's not a ton of special effects in the movie. Like, a lot of it, they really, really just, it was very DIY. They did it themselves. I think this, uh, I, I believe, and this could be apocryphal, but uh, they, I've always heard that the, that, the scene at the dinner table, where eventually they bring out Grandpa, and, you know, yeah. Grandpa, do you have your one last kill, that sort of thing. Uh, it's, it's always been said that's actually the held some sort of record for the loudest scream in a movie. Really? Yes. Because she was, she's, I mean, you know, they're all screaming bloody murder uh, in that scene. And it, the ending of this movie is so iconic with Leatherface twirling around with his chainsaw and the the, the final girl who's the character, her name I can't remember, uh, just sort of in the, in the back of the truck, she's escaped. And just sort of laughing maniacally. Like it was Sally, Marilyn. Sally, Hunt. yes, yes, Sally. Uh, Sally in the in the truck, just laughing maniacally. You know, I, I can't believe I've escaped. 
this ridiculous situation. Right, because none of what's happened to her has really settled in yet. Like, she's still just in shock. Right. Her brother's dead. Her friends are all dead. Everyone's dead. She just and you, went to hell yeah, and and multiple just, times. And you just want to you just want to take a shower after you watch this movie in, like, the best possible way, I feel like. And it really also, I mean, it was so shocking and horrific that people actually, I mean, they walked out of the theater when it first Which is Which is interesting. Aired. Like, the, it shocked people. And that's what I think this this genre can do a lot of times because, I mean, like I said, it's, I've seen so many bloodier, gorier movies. Even at the same time, you look at what they were doing in Italy with, like, Giallo movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are gory and bloody and, and great. I love them. But, like, comparatively. I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's interesting. I, I read a theory, or I heard a theory once, basically, that horror movies from whatever country they're from, they sort of prey on that country's greatest sin. So if you see a, a movie taking place, a horror movie in England, an English horror movie, tends to take place in the city because the wounds of that country are like Jack the Ripper. And the wounds of America are in the sticks, you know? And that's why Texas Chainsaw might be the ultimate American horror movie until maybe one of the ones we talk about later, because it. Well, I could. I don't think it can be. I don't think it could be confined to just one. I. I think that it constantly. It keeps. It, it evolves over time. You know, I, horror, much like comedy, and we're totally going to talk about this later on down the line as well. But it's based on on a fear that already exists. You can't scare people without there already being a fear. What you're doing is you're exploiting a fear that already that already exists, which is, which is why it's so unique to each person. And there is a reason why it's so scary, because that isolationism, that's why movies that take place out in the middle of nowhere can be so, just being out in the middle of nowhere can be so terrifying. There's something about that isolation that is, that just the isolation alone can scare people. And if you, you know, that's what you can do with a horror film, and you prey on that fear. Definitely. So, Ronit, the, the next one you wanted to talk about is not necessarily a horror movie. No. Nope. It is a Halloween movie. It's a Halloween. It's an October movie. It's, it's a hard left turn from what we've been talking about. So what what movie did you want to talk about? Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. No, don't do it. Don't I do won't. It. Okay, okay. I'll leave it alone. Beetlejuice is one of my all-time favorite films. Lydia Dietz is probably it's is is probably my animal. she's my spirit animal. Yeah. She is my queen. I I've dressed up is her more than anything else for Halloween. Um, I love Lydia Dietz. She's one of my all-time favorite movie characters. And Winona Ryder. I mean, holy shit. We're gonna do an entire Winona Ryder retrospective sometime. It's on some other episode because there is so much to say about that woman's career. But just, you know, she kind of ruled the 80s for a while. She was the Tim Burton girl. And I think Beetlejuice is not only, I mean, it has a few, you know, it has a few, like, you know, creepy, a couple scary moments. But like any Tim Burton film, it's funny, too. And it and it uses its sense of humor to tell its, to tell its story. And I think it, it is... Poor Tim Burton likes telling funny stories, but he also really enjoys things that creep us out. And combining those two elements, I mean, the entire, you know, dinner party scene with the, you know what I mean, just, with like the Dale, apparently. Just, so, just ignore that Jeffrey Jones is in this movie, by yes. the way. Just, uh, yeah, look, please look, please pay t- no attention to the pedophile behind the curtain. Uh, yeah, please don't. Um, So apparently when Glenn Shaddix, who plays... Otho, who is also in Heathers with Winona Ryder, which is also one of my fave October movies. Apparently, when Glenn Shaddix unfortunately died back in 2010, apparently at his funeral, they played Harry Belafonte's Deo um, in honor of him. So, I mean, it, I think there's something about Beetlejuice that's just iconic. It'll never get old. It'll always be funny. I also think it should be mentioned that it's interesting because the title character is hardly in the, almost hardly in the movie, way less right. than the rest of them. Catherine O'Hara, who always manages. Show favorite. Like, Catherine O'Hara. So Catherine O'Hara.
Harris, who somehow manages to own every single scene she's ever in in any movie or TV show ever, is just one of the funniest people. And her is is like and her is Delia was just also one of my favorite characters in a movie. Um, because she also, you know, it's thanks to Tim Burton's portrayal of female characters, but also a testament to Catherine O'Hara. She could have been a very one-dimensional, sort of vapid person, which she can behave that way sometimes, but she's really not. And she really does love her family, and that's shown and proven by the end of the film. Her just, with her bizarre sculptures and outfits, and... <laughs> here's, here's... The, what I, I can't get out of my head every time I watch, and it, it has nothing to do with Beetlejuice as a movie, unfortunately, it's really not a Beetlejuice take, but if you go and watch that movie in 1988, and you look and you say the two main male characters, basically, Michael Keaton, Alec Baldwin. Right. And you say, next year, <laughs> one of these actors will be Batman. Oh my god, I know, I know. What, like, uh, Alec Baldwin looks like a completely different person. It's the only reason Michael Keaton was Batman was because Tim Burton directed that Batman. Like, that's it. It was because he was he was Tim Burton's it boy at that time. I think he is a very... Michael Keaton is an incredibly talented person, a talented actor. I don't think he was a, a good for Batman. I don't think he was right. He was so, the best Batman we had for a long time. Okay, okay, but that's still not a good measurement, okay? That's okay, yeah, next to Clooney, and, like, Val Kilmer was, like, okay-ish. He was, like, oh, just rigid you, enough. You haven't watched that movie recently, have you? I haven't watched it Batman recently, Forever no. is worse than you remember. I know, <laughs> I know. They're, they fucking, they're terrible. That era, that era of Batman. We will dive into DC um, at another time, but Bernie, I do think. Tell your friends about me. Right. I don't even remember what that. What so that's it's from. Batman. Okay. So ba we were talking about Batman. Okay. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Get it out now. Um. Beetlejuice. Yeah. So don't say it another two times. I won't. All in all, Beetlejuice is not. It's not a scary movie. It doesn't. It makes me more laugh, and and it is just an enjoyable, spooky movie. Not to mention Danny Elfman's score is one of my favorite scores of all time. I mean, just the, the opening music alone is just, it gets it gets your heart pumping for what's coming. Absolutely. It just gets you super, super psyched. And it's one of my favorite ways of like ushering in the month of October. So that's why it makes the list. And a, and a great, one of, the, one of the things I actually, I miss about that era of movies is anytime there was a, like a hit movie, there was the cartoon spinoff. You know, you had... Right, right. You, you know, which you had the great Beetlejuice cartoon, and, uh, you know, you had Ghostbusters as well. You had the real Ghostbusters. It's not a movie we're talking about tonight, but, you know, I think down the line, I think a Bill Murray episode might be in order. I, I uh, yeah, I, I could see that. Um, but you could easily talk about that. But, yeah, I mean, well, like you said, while it's not a horror movie, uh, per se, you know, there, there's definitely a place for comedy and horror. And that's why I wanted to talk about my next, well, it's a series of movies, and that is the Evil Dead trilogy, which includes Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, and Army of Darkness. And it's the, until the movie Cabin in the Woods was the ultimate Cabin in the Woods movie. Movie, exactly. Where, you know, and again, it goes back to the do-it-yourself nature of the genre. It was Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and... And a yellow car. And, and Ted Raimi, and they... Got in, uh, they got in a car, and they drove out to a cabin, and they played around with fucking claymation, uh, for the first one at least. The first Evil Dead was in '81. It was also, I think, the first uh, tree rape to appear on film. And still the best. Yeah, still, yeah, still no, the most tasteful. It still tops. Yeah, I mean, the, on the on the list of greatest tree another, rapes in another film. Another one with a truly putrid remake. Yeah. By the way, Fetty Alvarez's remake. From, I think it was 2013. Yeah, having not watched it. Yep. Not great. Yeah, not interesting. Um, Fede Alvarez is... Um, certain films yeah. certain films are unique to the time that they take place in. And I think that sometimes you can try to remake something, but it's impossible because of when it came out in. Like, you can't... It, Evil Dead is a 
part of the 80s and the 80s are a part of of evil dead like you well, can't a studio can't remake that movie because no they can't it's it's made with that sort of independent spirit like you can go i have a dvd and i haven't gotten a blu-ray of it yet i don't know if one exists but even on the dvd you can see well you know here's a full moon but it's clearly like the sky around the full moon is a different color and it's so do it yourself well this even the studios fucked with it so badly which is why evil dead 3 isn't even called evil dead 3 it's called army of darkness i think that actually is because it went to a different studio that didn't have it did it went to paramount yeah. i believe yeah um but, I mean, the, the other great thing about this genre, and, and Bruce Campbell, I think, is the biggest example of this, the fact that this genre has its own celebrities, that if you go to a horror conference, if you go to, a, a like, any horror-themed anything, and let's say two people walk through the door, and, you know, just think of the, the, the biggest celebrity. Think Tom Cruise walks through the door. And if Bruce Campbell walks in after him, the horror fans are going to, Probably go more to Bruce Campbell than to Tom Cruise. Oh, big time. Big time. Well, no one wants to talk to Tom Cruise now anyway. Well, because he's a psychopath. He's, like, legitimately yeah. scared. We're going to talk about things that scare us. Yeah. Scientology, folks. But That's, a, that's its own horror film. But it, Evil Dead 1 is great because it's so do-it-yourself. The effects are so much fun. They literally, they put, Bruce Campbell was in the movie because... It's like they threw everything that might visually scare you at the wall, and absolutely. they were like, and they everything. just had, and you can tell that they had fun with it. Right. Oh, absolutely. They scared themselves. Right. They scared us, and it was just, it's a fun, it's a fun horror movie, and it, it, which is why it has such a cult following. And I mean, Sam Raimi is a is a genius. It's uh, also a testament, you know, as we said also with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like, money doesn't buy everything. Like, you know, it's a testament to that, like, true grit and, like, effort and love of what you're doing, putting it into that. You can do that on a, on a low budget and still be immortalized years later. But when you, when you have that heart and you get money, mm-hmm. yep. then you get Evil Dead 2, which is... is- Half a remake of Evil Dead it's One. It's Evil Dead One. It's just well, it's the, the first the same half. Movie. The first half is it has the same weird magnifying glass necklace, which I don't, I don't know where the hell that came from. But it's half a remake of Evil Dead One, and then it goes into its own territory and it goes balls to the wall, crazy. That's where you see sort of the iconic image of Ash, played by Bruce Campbell with the chainsaw in his hand. Right. Right. And it's just, it's the same heart and the same crazy attitude six years later. But they have a budget. And Sam Raimi at that point now knows how to make a movie. It isn't just winging it with his friends out in the woods. In uh, Tennessee. Right. The car is still there. All the great elements are still there. But it ratchets, ratchets it up a notch. And then that leads into Army of Darkness, which, you know, it is maybe not a horror movie per se. It's almost- a standalone movie like you sure fantasy yeah i mean you can it's not yeah it it, it really is it's like just it just takes place in a different it's more of an action adventure movie than a horror movie the vibe is very 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 different the vibe the atmosphere totally different than the first two movies and it it can it could be like if you watched it without ever having even heard of evil dead one or two like contextually you would be fine like it really almost is a standalone movie you have an emotional there is like that attachment because you've seen the first two movies so you are going to view it differently but it's still almost kind of it's it's funnier oh it's definitely yeah um it's definitely got like still have their sense of humor i feel like there are more jokes and i remember laughing more watching it and maybe because it's not as scary as the first two right and and for for a very long time up until really Lord of the Rings, I feel like it had my favorite large-scale medieval battle in movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because totally. It's, because you get, I mean, you have Bruce Campbell out there at his most chintastically handsome, fighting skeletons like Harryhausen-style skeletons. Uh, it's it's great. It's super fun. Always. I mean, it also has Embeth Davids in it, who is yes. freaking amazing. And he has some great line that he says to her, I think, right before he kills her. Doesn't Embeth get, Davids turn into a she, demon? He, he, yes. So I she haven't is, watched it in so long. She is kidnapped by... The villain of the movie is like a sort of magical clone of Ash. Right. Um, who 
kidnaps Embeth Davids and converts her into one of the evil dead somehow. Right. Um, she, she gets better. Uh, yeah, she says, you found me beautiful once. And he says, honey, you got real yeah, ugly. You know, we could make this whole... Listen, I could sit here and quote <laughs> Army just, of Darkness to you all day. We could just sit here and quote Army good, of Darkness quotes. Good, bad, I'm the guy with the gun. <laughs> yeah. Shop smart. No, it's a Shop boom, smart. It's a boomstick. You see this? It's a boomstick. This is my boomstick. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then that led into Ash vs. Evil Dead, which is a very underrated show on stars. Uh, but we won't get into that here. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's Evil Dead. I watch that every year just about. It's great. I always need a Bruce Campbell fix. Everyone does. Yep. So, I mean, we're kind of moving up. I mean, we're, we're into the 90s now. And when you think of 90s in horror, we think of your next movie. Well, I do every year, every October, I watch the Scream trilogy. And I use the word trilogy very pointedly because I pretend like the fourth one doesn't exist. What is your favorite scary movie? There's a few. Um, There's multiple ones because they they sort of hit you on different levels. During the entire month of October, I have my whole list of things that I watch. And depending on my mood that day, I will watch one thing or another. Like, I have, I mean, Stranger Things is like on my list. I haven't watched that yet because I just haven't, I wasn't in the mood yet. I watched Practical Magic last night because that is, I, I love that. That's a fun, witchy, october movie. Um, and I do want to just be surrounded by women and cats and live in a big house and die that way. But Scream really, truly, it ushered in a new generation of slasher movies. It sort of reinvented the genre and introduced it to a new generation of horror fans. It was also the first horror movie I ever saw. I saw it, you know, we rented it from, from the video store. Um, Rest in peace. Vi- yeah, videos are, the, are these rectangular things that you used to put in a VCR. You know, it's not important. So we rented the movie. It had already, so I saw it in 1997. It came out in 96. So when it came out on, you had to wait like eight months until it came out on video. And then we watched it. And I watched it with, you know, with all the lights on with, like, six other people. So, yes, I was scared, but, like, not as scared as I could have been. But I also remember really, really, really enjoying it. Um, also, I was 14, so, you know, these people perfect were... Perfect age. Yeah. Perfect age for that. And, you know, everybody, you know, according to, like, human psychology, like, we're always... Fa- humans are always fascinated by people who are slightly older than them. So, watching these, like cool, hot teenagers, watching like, these, running around, Watching you know? these 35-year-olds. Right, exactly. Exactly. But I was like, oh, my God, man, I wish I had a stalker. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But it was just, it, I think Wes Craven is an absolute genius because not only did he, did he, re, he introduced um, an, a new generation to slasher movies and sort of reinvented them, but by going meta by making fun of the genre itself was how he reinvented it. West, and he, and he gave Craven. himself permission to kind of do anything because he went meta and makes fun of the entire genre itself, even his own, his own movies. So the My thing bet. about Wes Craven is you could argue that for three straight decades, he had the defining horror movie. The 70s, he had Last House on the Left. Right. Which is... I don't necessarily know if I can recommend watching that. I movie. don't recommend watching it it's, just because it's so creepy and just it's it's it, bizarre. It's a very strange movie. Yeah. Um, but he had Last House on the Left in the seventies. It's like if you turned Pink Flamingos into a horror movie. Right. Yeah. Um, in the eighties, he had A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Uh, and Nightmare Nightmare on Elm Street, they actually did take a a dig at the sequels. Um, in the opening scene, when Drew Barrymore is on the phone with the killer, she thinks she's just having a conversation about her favorite scary movies. She's sort of flirting with them. She says she loves um, Freddy Krueger and the like the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, but the sequels <laughs> sucked, and that was because Wes Craven had sold the rights after the first. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street came out. He sold the rights to the rest of them. So they kind of take a dig at them. Um, again, going meta. And it just, the movie, it com- it combined um, humor and 
carved so beautifully. It, it, it wove them together seamlessly, and it, it was really, really well done. And Wes, Cra Wes Craven also, I mean, he loves his leading ladies. I will, I will spoil this for you. Our last movie on the list, and the reason why I'm going to spoil this for you, our last movie is Halloween, and, it, because, and I'm spoiling it for you because that both franchises exist in each other's worlds. So Halloween exists in the Scream world, and in Halloween H2O, they're watching Scream 2. They exist in each other's universes, which is why I'm bringing it up. Well, here's... We'll get into Halloween And Halloween bar. is a huge, huge influence in... They talk about Jamie Lee Curtis, like, nonstop. Well, it's, it's interesting. The connection, I think, runs deeper uh, because that that famous opening scene with Drew Barrymore is very much patterned after the opening act of Psycho, where, you know, played by Janet Lee, Jamie Lee Curtis's mother, where the biggest star in the movie at that point is killed off way earlier than you might expect. Well, actually, do you know, Drew Barrymore was originally cast as Sidney Prescott before Nev Campbell. She actually, this was actually her idea, she insisted that she play Casey because then it would make, because she was as famous as she was, if she gets killed off in the beginning, it would make the audience think anything could happen, which is absolutely fucking brilliant. And I actually just recently learned that that was her idea. That was her contribution to the movie, which is baller. She, I mean, she made the movie. I think without, without that scene, without her being in that scene. Correct. I yeah. mean, it's a it's a hit. Because it really maybe, makes you it really makes you think like okay, anybody anything can happen to anybody. I think culturally that you know what's your favorite scary movie is what hooked Scream into our society so much. I mean, for those of you who don't so, remember, so nineties. So not so for those of you who don't remember, that was a cultural powerhouse in the way that I don't know if any movie any horror movie recently has been. Yeah, I mean, there have been big hits. It was a big hit. It's because it, Get didn't, Out was it a big didn't hit. just scare you. It made you laugh as well. And I think that's that's what hooks you because there's a there's actually, I think, a very thin line between comedy and horror. Because like we said earlier, horror couldn't exist if we didn't have fears. Horror exploits those fears. The same thing goes for comedy. They're based on something that already exists where we're able to laugh at something it's really simply horror and comedy are just how you choose to look at things. So I think there's actually a very thin line. And I think Wes Craven used those lines and melded them together to make just a, a great, an excellent story. Um, not to mention watching, you know, it put Nev Campbell on the map. And also getting to watch Courtney Cox, who didn't like being sort of, um, boxed in to her Monica Geller role on Friends Getting, she really, she begged them to let her, she was like, I want to be a bitch in this movie. But she ends up also saving the day at the end. She shoots Billy right before he's about to um, stab Sydney. So, you know, getting to watch her be super bitchy throughout the movie, the same way we got to watch Catherine O'Hara in Beetlejuice just be a huge pain in the ass hysterically but a huge pain in the ass to the people around her, but also help save the day at the end. That was, that was really, really fun. And the movie ends, I believe, with Courtney Cox. It's her doing her report. That's how, that's the, one of the last shots of the film. She's the last character to be shown on screen in that movie. Also, it should be noted, Henry Winkler is the best school principal hey. ever. Also, Little piece of trivia. When he opens his office closet door and he looks in the mirror, his original Fonz jacket from the 70s is hanging in the closet. Next time you watch that movie, keep a lookout for the Fonz jacket. Also, killer, killer soundtrack, pun intended. Um, Nick Cave is on the soundtrack, so just alone you know where they're going with this. It was just... There's a line in the movie, too. Again, it's so, so, so 90s. But there's a line where Billy, Hottie McCotts, Skeet Ulrich, a.k.a. Jughead's dad, is at the sheriff's station with his, with his dad. And I, I every time I watch this movie, every year I laugh at this line. But the sheriff goes, let me ask you this. What are you doing with a cellular phone, son? Because no one really had them yet. Like, this is this magical asked, thing. I get asked that had. question daily. <laughs> By, by angry Southern sheriff. It's bizarre. 
But if, yeah, I mean, and by the way, Joaquin Phoenix actually turned down the role of Billy Loomis. He did not want to be portrayed as a serial killer. Not in the movies, at least. Yeah. Interesting, uh, by the way, that we're recording this the week, the week that Joker comes up. Right, right. So right. He's, uh, yeah. he's changed his tune on the serial killing yeah. uh, in movies, evidently. No kidding. What a coinkydink. Yeah. Um, it also, you know, there's a lot about rules of horror movies in throughout the entire trilogy. There is this entire concept of what the rules of a horror movie are and how they evolve film one to film two to film three and how they form this sort of arc, right? And the rules have to change based on what what preceded them. So it was interesting because one of the big rules that they discuss in the first one, um, which is still my favorite one out of the three, but that there virgins, are four screen movies, by the way. That we no, we're pretending that, like I said earlier, they're pretending the fourth one does not exist. Uh, but the third in one is Grope, awful. Jay I don't. I do not. Up. Okay, Maybe. you're just mad that Jay and Silent Bob showed. Uh, no, it's just not a great movie. I liked it. I enjoyed it. Carrie Fisher's in it, so shut great. up. Part two also, Parker, Parker Posey is in it. Great. It's oh, a bad movie. To the M, to the G. Anyway, so it broke. The trend of virgins being the only survivors. There was a big, there's, that's always, it's kind of, it's a rule, it's a joke that it's like only virginal women. They're the, the, the final girls, right? They're always virgins. And Sydney survived despite losing her virginity on screen. So they also, they, they broke that rule down. And I also want to note, I always chuckle to myself whenever I watch right before the reveal that Billy and Stu are are the killers. Billy does this. Sydney thinks that Billy's been killed, right? They pretend like he's been killed in the bedroom right after Billy and Sydney have sex. And then he does this incredibly over-the-top dramatic fall down the stairs. And I don't mean like a stumble, like in, in trip down a couple stairs. I mean, he falls from the very top of the stairs all the way down to the bottom stairs. And it was just, it, it, I, I don't know, it just really kills me every time I watch it because it's so over-the-top dramatic. You're, he, you know he's thinking, he's like, oh, fuck, yeah, I'm selling this. I'm selling this so good. And he's just, <laughs> I mean, he's, from that point forward, he's looking at, you know, 20 years of playing Shaggy. So, uh... Right. Oh, no, are you, you know, you're thinking of Stu. Are you thinking of, um... Yes. Yeah, it's, no, because it's Billy it's, that oh, falls okay. down... It's Billy that rolls down the stairs, and he's like, Sydney, oh my god, Sydney. And, you know, I don't know. I every, every once in a while, they will reference Scream on Riverdale, and it always makes me think that FP is going to be the villain of the season. <laughs> always, because he's like, there was, yeah. Yeah. It was like, oh no, he's clearly the killer. Well, when uh, they did, when they did the throwback episode in season three of them as kids, he definitely, Jughead looks like, he's made to look like Skeet Ulrich did in Scream. And that's on purpose. Oh, do you mean the episode that's placed in the 90s with 80s music for some reason? R yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. It's it's still, it's one of my favorite movies. I think it's an excellent, near-perfect horror movie. And I think that Wes Craven did a beautiful job. Look, like we've said this before on the show, I think that our... It's a two-way mirror, right? It's It works both ways. It influences the times that we're living in, and the times that we're living in influences art, and it moves things forward. And I think that Wes Craven moved the horror genre because it was a little stale for a little while. I think he reawakened it and regenerated it with a new, young, sort of youthful energy and pushed it into the next phase. So that's why that one goes on my list. All right. And, I mean, you said before the next one is Halloween. I will. I did want to say one last thing. It does break my heart when I see Rose McGowan in a Miramax film. And it is something we'll talk about at some other point because yeah. this is such a heavy, heavy, heavy topic. But in her own real life horror, I mean, this is around the time when Rose McGowan was raped by Harvey Weinstein. And true, so seeing. True scumbag. Yeah. I mean, first of all, anytime I watch a movie with the Miramax logo on it, I always like. I always try to be like, just try, try, you almost try to ignore it because you're like, I can't even think about it right now, but also watch seeing Rose McGowan in that movie. And she's just, she actually said in interviews that it was her happiest filming experience. Like she actually really loved making that movie. She loved the cast. She had such a good time. And it's such a shame that it was so marred and stained by 
just a, a real life horror. Yeah, so we, we watch these movies to scare ourselves and get away, it's, get get away from stuff like that. And it is a shame that there's in an otherwise great because movie it's hard not to uh, think about it when you not only see the Miramax logo but you also see her in the movie. Um, and he really there's a reason why you don't see her in a lot of other movies it's because he vowed to do what he promised he destroyed her film career yeah she was barely in anything after that um until she went to charmed i believe and and she actually committed the greatest sin of any actress which was turning 30 right so yes that, yes oh my too, goodness she had that working against her as well turning 22 but, was was tough enough really she really aged out yeah. after after 25 so i mean a big part of why we why we watch and enjoy horror films is uh, it's pure and simple um it's because we get to enjoy the thrill and the the shock of being scared without real life consequences and unfortunately there is when i do watch scream there is there is a little bit of that real life that's tied in with it as a result of what happened to rose mcgowan tied in um that pain and that reality mixed in with the fiction of the screen movies. And so I mean that's definitely something that we'll be revisiting down the line. But I it it is something it's de- it was definitely worth mentioning because it I think about it every time I watch that movie. But Rick, do you wanna do you wanna maybe bring in our next our yeah, our, we, our final film? We had meant it earlier. It's it's Halloween. nineteen seventy eight Halloween. Ridge. Uh, yeah. Um I mean I think this is the one movie we, we both wanted to talk about because, you know, I mean, yeah. you brought Scream and Beetlejuice, I brought in Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the Dead Trilogy, but Halloween, I mean, that's the movie I watch every year on October 31st. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think it is because... You have no life and you don't go out on Halloween. Well, I, I, <laughs> I have a house and trick-or-treaters come <laughs> to my house okay. and I give them candy. All right. If that's the excuse we're going with, okay. Next year it's on a Saturday, I may go out. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Halloween, I think, is the ultimate Halloween movie, not only because of the title. Right. Uh, but because, it, number one, it has... It takes place on yes, Halloween. It has it has Laurie Strode, who is the best Vile Girl. Right. By far, and I don't think it's even a question for me. Mm-hmm. Um... And Michael Myers is such an iconic character, and he's so blank-faced that you can project anything your onto fear him. Right. onto mm-hmm. him. That movie, no matter how many times I've watched it, no matter I know how it ends, it still scares the ever-loving shit out of me when I watch it. It's terrifying. It is absolutely terrifying. It taps into everything that scares you on every level. And I think that's fairly... I don't think I'm crazy for saying this, but, like, I think it's a fairly universally scary movie. I think most people are like, yes, I'm terrified by this movie. Uh, And not only that, I don't think anyone can look at that movie and deny that it's so well-crafted. The music, that theme, is will haunt you. Just the sound of the leaves blowing on the ground, too. You know, it's so funny because I was actually, I was walking down the street the other night, and it was, you know, the weather, we live, we're in New England, so you never know. But I was walking down the street, and I, the sound of the wet leaves under my boots, I I hit, I was like, oh, it's October. Like, it's, I, it reminded me of the Halloween movie, and like, just, not only the, the score of the film, but just all those little sounds, just the sound of leaves, like, under my shoes reminded me of the movie that's that's a sign of an an iconic film yes it it just it stays with you it came out 40 years ago and it's still i mean it it's still it's left such a mark on our imaginations and our nightmares i mean again another connection between it and scream you have dr loomis Mm-hmm. Yeah, Billy Loomis and Scream, named after a character in Halloween. So they did that on, they did that on sure, purpose. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, you could. There's what? There's a zillion references in there. There's a ton of horror film references. Period in the Scream movies, but Halloween is the one that they reference the right. most because, I, especially because Randy is so obsessed with Jamie Lee Curtis. I think you could you could very easily make a case, and I would that uh, that Carpenter and Craven are the two best horror movie directors since Hitchcock. Yeah, I agree. That well, they really know how to... They know, 
can't fuck with it. Because at its core, you can't just spill a bunch of blood, show guts. That's not heart. They tap into what really scares us. And that's that's where that's where true horror lies. And I think that they really know how to get they they know how to get under your skin. Um, and really, really terrify you. Again, Halloween, like, I, I cannot watch it, like, alone. I, it still terrifies me. Even though I know how it ends. That scene, that final fight in the closet is the stuff of nightmares. I, like, my heart pounds out of my chest every time I watch it, even though I know how it ends. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think Craven and Carpenter really are just absolute masters of um, they really know how to tap into what scares us, but they do have different approaches, I think. I mean, Craven tends to have a little bit more, like, he, has, he definitely has more of a sense of humor. Uh, Carpenter is much more atmospheric. Um, yes. And there's something about his films that just really well, put, kind of puts you into that place where I think Craven I think has more, he approaches things with more of a kind of through, through a, a more humorous Sort of goggles. I think I think a lot of that Carpenter atmosphere is the music. Yeah, oh, oh I think, absolutely. I think he uses that so well between that just, well, and just the thing. Even the sound. from New York. Yep. You know, I, I listen to some soundtracks now, some scores now, and I go, "Oh, it's very Carpenter esque." Sure. I don't know if I've ever heard anything. It's like, oh, that's a very it's a West Craven soundtrack. You know? No. no I mean, he all. uses popular music and scream very well, um, and I'm not trying to belittle him at all. But but I mean, Carpenter, I think just has the, the score down so well. But, I mean, this is a movie that, I don't think you can find anyone who says they don't like the original Halloween. Now, the franchise itself, I don't know if you knew this about the Halloween franchise. You tell, Rick. Has, I believe, let me count it out, it has multiple continuities within the series. Okay. Right, right. So, we've got Halloween 1 through 6. Right. Is one continuity. Halloween 1, <laughs> 2, yeah. H2O and Resurrection right. is another one. Yeah, just calling it H2O yeah. period was yeah. like, wow, fabulous decision making. Can't wait to see what, you know what? comes of this. The, up until last year, which is the other one, which is just Halloween Part 1, the, the original and Halloween 2018 and the sequels that are coming out for those. Right. Are that's another continuity. It so is. They're basically just erase like they're like we're just we're doing a do-over. Paul Rudd is in one of these movies. It's ridiculous. And yeah, oh like, yeah. It's in part 5, I believe. Um Oh yeah, Paul Rudd. Nine, 90s Paul look, Rudd. Looks the same. Yeah, no. Yeah, he does. Um but, I think he shot that and his cameo in Parks and Rec at the same time. Yeah, it's that, and then he was like, oh, gotta go. He's actually time-traveling uh, as Ant-Man. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, it's, the, the series is crazy. It gets some, you know, is Laurie Strode Michael Myers' sisters? Well, it, it depends. It depends on what movie you're watching. But exactly. It depends on which timeline you're looking yeah. at. Like, whose version of the story you're, you're watching. Right, and it's great. And that's, it's retelling, and it's, to me, something like that. And it... Listen, I'm I'm a ner- I'm a giant nerd. If this was in a comic book movie where they played so fast and loose with continuity, it would it would bug me. But because the horror genre is so much, you're sitting down and telling tales by the campfire. That's sure. where that's yeah. where it comes from. That's oh, yeah. the beginning of storytelling. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be a little bit different every time depending on who tells it. It doesn't necessarily bother me in in these these horror franchises. Halloween's the most egregious, but you see it in Friday the 13th as well. Oh, uh, absolutely. Where it just, one movie to the next doesn't, doesn't make sense. Didn't, Friday the 13th, with its second one, did the same thing Evil Dead did. It's basically like the same movie, right? Didn't it? With its, with well, the it Friday did, the 13th sequel? Well, part two is when you see Jason actually come Oh, that's in. correct. That's right. You yeah. see Jason for the first time. Shout out to Betsy Palmer. Yep. Great. For playing the iconic Mrs. Voorhees. Yep. That was, okay, that is, that it should be a shout out. Okay? Because Friday the 13th really was, it was a rule maker. Yes. And that most, a lot of times, a technique that will be used in horror films to shock people is, is like a, a jump scare, right? It usually comes from characters finding other characters dead, right? That's a jump scare. Oh my god, you open a closet and a body falls out. 
no one knows that anyone else is dead until the very end in Friday the 13th. No one. So all of the scares came from the murders themselves and the characters being stalked by this, you don't know who it is yet. Um, and it's really, you're just watching, you're watching everything through the killer's eyes. And then it's revealed they cast, it wasn't just a woman, it's a middle-aged woman, which was a huge deal. So I think Friday the 13th definitely also gets a shout out from me because it really, yes. it was a rule maker. So, so to me, and we won't spend too much time on Friday the 13th because it's not, you know, necessarily one of our main subjects tonight, but to me, that move, that's the movie that looked at what came before it and took a little bit from here and a little bit from here. It took the mask killer of Halloween. It took the giant jump scare ending of Carrie. You know, it, it, it took the, you know, knock them off slasher thing that I mean Halloween used that as well but it really is an amalgamation of a lot of different things and it was put together to, I mean to great use obviously Jason is an iconic character and that series has 11 right. movies or whatever it is right he wouldn't exist without Michael Myers uh, right so I mean and that's that's why I think Halloween is the greatest of all because oh, it's perfect from yeah. beginning to end, and and not to say there weren't slashers before that. There was Black Christmas. There was Psycho, even uh, if you want to go back that far. But it's to me, it's the perfect one because that was the first one that perfected the genre, and that's what I think it is. I think it, it well, did, and it influenced everything that came afterwards. Yes. Like no one, no horror movie person can say anything about their own films without mentioning Halloween right. or Carpenter. Correct. So, I mean, that's what we're watching this October. You know, let us know uh, on Twitter what you're watching. We're at Rick Ron Rant on Twitter. We did want to do a, a shout out. Um, it's not a scary movie, but it's a movie I think that has developed a huge cult following over the years. And a lot of people seem to really, really love it, even though it flopped at the box office. But we did want to give a shout out to and a movie that I watch every October, and I usually watch it while I'm like working on my Halloween costume. That's Just like a tradition that put, I have. Put on Freeform, and you'll probably see this movie. Yes, October. exactly. Odds, every year, I'd say it's probably on right now. Every year, Hocus Pocus came out in 1993, so it just had last year. It had its 25th anniversary. It came out in July of 1993. Why, you ask? Uh, did it come out in the middle of summer when it's clearly a Halloween movie? Um, it was because the, the studios didn't want it to interfere with the release of Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes, Nightmare Before Christmas it came out in 1993. Let's I cannot believe it's that old. And Nightmare Before Christmas is not a Halloween movie. It's not a Halloween movie. It's a Christmas, it's a movie. Christmas movie. They shouldn't have, the two shouldn't have interfered with each other at all. You know, there's two types of people in this world. Number one Marvel and DC. Well, no, because you have like your your other comic book companies. Okay. Well. You have Boom Studios. You have, but I, I I digress. IDW things like that. He means vagina and penis. I mean, there's I mean, there's you with your third vagina, um, but still vagina. But uh, no, there's two types of people. There's those that believe that Nightmare Before Christmas is a Christmas movie, right? And then there are those people that are on the other hand that are wrong. Yes. So So there's us and then there's the wrong people. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So there was an interview that I watched with uh it was on at the time of filming on Entertainment Tonight. It's an interview with Sarah Jessica Parker and she's talking about in 1992-93 um when they were filming and she mentioned she goes we literally she clearly doesn't you know I think it's hard for actors to know what a finished product is going to look like so when you're sort of in it and you're not um you know not sharing scenes with other characters you don't really know what you know what what things are going to look like but she said in an interview she said we literally suck the lives out of children so I don't know how they're going to market this film um so. It's funny that she says that because it really has developed such a, a you know, aside from Kathy and Jimmy, Sarah Jessica Parker, um, and Bette Midler being in it. And the reason Kathy and Jimmy and Sarah Jessica Parker signed on was because of Bette Midler and they idolized her and they wanted to be in, in the movie with her. It has such an excellent sense of humor. Uh, Gary and Penny Marshall are in it. It just, it never stopped making fun of itself and which is why I think it continues will always continue to be a great 
Halloween movie for both kids and adults. And I think especially if you were like a kid when it came out, it has a very, it really does have like a, a really sentimental feeling attached to it. Always um, great. It's, I think it's very important to scare kids. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, I was a very scared child and I think it was good. I mean, to not to, I think it was good to expose myself to these scary things because it did, you know, build the type of stuff that I like today. Build my sure. taste in the future. Yeah. Really, you know, it helps desensitize it, you helps, a little bit, so you helps can desensitize, and it, it helps you overcome. It fear. helps you overcome fears, yes, sure. in, in a safe way. Yeah, it's like a version therapy. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's what we're watching this October. And I did want to say one last thing about Hocus Pocus, though. There are two bullies that bully the main character, Max, in the movie. The blonde one, Tobias Jelinek, plays one of the lead agents, like evil, evil scientist dudes in Stranger Things. So he definitely gets his, his time with me in, in the month of October. And I have a, I have a shout out, and I'm going to make it very quick, to something that it's, it's tough to track down. But it's something that, not necessarily a scary show, but a scary episode of a show. Mm. And I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm going to say... I know which one I'm it gonna, is. I'm going to say three words. Yeah. Zeke the plumber. And I'll leave it at that. And if you know it, good for you. So that's what we're watching this October. And, you know, we hope you... Like we said, we hope you'll get back to us. Shoot us an email. rickandroneatrant at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at rickronrant on Twitter. Our next episode we're gonna talk in depth about another movie book franchise that we really the entire like. world we're gonna be discussing the entire world of the shining not only are we going to be approaching this summer the 40th anniversary of the shining coming out but dr sleep will also be coming out about a week after halloween um, so we will be discussing everything Shining related, the book, the movie, the documentary Room 237, and then finally Dr. Sleep. And we will be joined by horror filmmaker and the script butcher himself, Jimmy George, for that conversation, which we're, we're really, really excited about. We're, we're, get, we're getting in deep on some Stephen King lore as well. That's basically what I'm here for. Yeah, we're uh, very excited about our Halloween episode. So With that being said... It's time, I believe, to get to the fuck you the of the week. Fuck you of the week. And Rooney, this one is all you. So last week, Rick kicked off the fuck you of the week to Charlie Baker. This fuck you of the week goes out to internet pranksters. Um, we're not talking like a couple bros sneaking into a wedding. I mean, people who disrupt events simply to get famous. These binary interlopers. Douchebags. Yeah, douchebags, exactly. Um, walking dildos. Uh, they cause a disruption. They film it and they put it up on the internet in the hopes of getting views. My fuck you of the week goes out to these vapid husks of walking insecurity for several reasons. And it should also be noted that there is a spectrum of this type of behavior, which I'm, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, so you might have seen this video, maybe not. But this week, a French YouTuber named Marie Benalil, probably fucking up her last name, couldn't give a shit, uh, jumped on stage at a Chanel fashion show during Paris Fashion Week. The video got attention mostly because Gigi Hadid, who was a model in the show, tossed her ass off the stage. What went through my mind after seeing this article was, why? It seems to be the question I ask every time I see something that to, to the naked eye seems to serve absolutely no purpose. Was there a political statement being made? Like, wh what are you saying with any of these actions? What was she saying with her actions? Was she saying anything? Was this being done for anyone other than herself? Um, hint, hint, the answer is a resounding no. Now, despite what you may think about fashion shows, models, male or female, or the world of fashion, period, and yes, I have a lot to say about the toxicity of some aspects of that culture, uh, despite what we think, this woman still disrupted a working event. There's a lot that goes into a fashion show. It may not seem like, a, uh, like it did, because if it did, they wouldn't be doing their jobs well. Um, but from the people who construct the stage, to the lighting and sound engineers, to the models timing their every move down to the millisecond, to the producers of the show wringing their hands in anxiety backstage just to make sure everything goes smoothly, and last but not least, 
the designers themselves, the artists who sew a little of themselves into a piece of fabric to show it to the world. Now imagine something that looks like it came from a hell dimension of Mary Poppins' understudies drops right into the middle of this accurately timed performance. Maybe she thought she was popping into one of Bert's chalk drawings and got lost behind the carousel. Guess we'll never know. But for what? Why? So according to her, she is a fashion lover and, quote, always dreamt of being a Chanel muse, whatever the fuck that means. She goes by the pseudonym Marie um, Sinfiltre, uh, which means she goes, quote, everywhere, infiltrating all kinds of places and events, she says. She considers herself a comedian and satirizes French culture and society. Uh, by the way, before crashing Chanel, she also crashed a lingerie fashion show. Double dickhead. In a stunt from a couple of years ago, she tormented employees at an Apple store pretending to maybe apply for a job or something like that, but then blasting music from her iPhone and then asking for a Coke Zero at the Genius Bar in the Apple store. Hilarious. Yeah, joke. Super funny. I'm sure the employees being paid minimum wage really appreciated that. Here's the thing that's driving me nuts aside from her awful behavior is that she says she's doing these pranks and stunts to make her own points rather than to bother anyone, which is exactly what she's doing. I am not making fun of people, she says. I am pointing at how silly some people can be. Uh, but you're not. You're an asshole. It's not funny. It's not even silly. You're literally just harassing people at work to get famous. She really annoyingly cites Sasha Baron Cohen as an influence, but uh, they the only thing the two of them have in common is that they're both human mammals, okay? Sasha Baron Cohen is an actual political comedian and his actions have a point. There is a purpose to his stunts and he enjoys taking politicians he views as assholes to task. Whether you agree with him politically or not is irrelevant. There is a point to his bits. They are carefully thought out and executed. Look, I don't like attention seekers and never have, especially people that do shitty things just for that extra like. And, and yes, there is a piece of me that feels just a little bit sorry for anyone that is clearly so devoid of any self-awareness or love or support in their life, but any shred of empathy I may have felt uh, goes right out the fucking window the second you take others down with you and interfere when people are just trying to do their job. Um, now, it's easy to make fun of or shit on the emotionally malnourished assholes of the internet, but as I mentioned before, there is a spectrum. Idiots like Marie Fuckhead technically aren't dangerous per se. There are attention seekers that do dangerous things and should be distinguished as the dangerous predators that they are. There is a man named Vitaly Sidiak. Uh, he's a Ukrainian prankster. I think he was actually a journalist at one point but got fired because of his pranks. He's the guy who picked up Gigi Hadid from behind and lifted her off the ground. Again, Gigi Hadid is back in this fuck you of the week. Huge episode um, for Gigi. Huge episode for Gigi. Uh, double double mention. Um, no fault of hers. One for each G. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, he climbed under America Ferrera's dress on the red carpet and has assaulted Kim Kardashian more than once. This raging dildo boasted about immobilizing uh, Gigi Hadid to the Hollywood Reporter by saying, quote, while I consider Gigi Hadid beautiful, she and her friend Kendall Jenner have nothing to do with high fashion. By doing this, I encourage the fashion industry to put true talents on the runway and Vogue covers instead of well-connected cute girls from Instagram, unquote. Now, let me be as clear as I possibly can. Dude, you are not an influencer. You are not inciting change. You are a predator. You are a danger to society and should be removed from the public seeing as you are a danger to others. Assaulting women, and it should be pointed out that he does not assault women and men the same way. He's much gentler with the men he attacks as opposed to the women who he basically barrels into or tries to knock to the ground. Assaulting women does not make you a revolutionary, makes you a fucking criminal. You are not cool or shifting the paradigm. You are a fucking piece of trash that needs to go the fuck away. The fact that you are not currently behind bars and separated from the rest of society and 51% of the world's population is a testament to the privilege that is bestowed on men like you and white men in particular. Just the fact that Gigi Hadid drew more public ire for defending herself from you 
then you attacking her says everything about our society and the way we view men and women's places in it. This conversation is much bigger than this, and we will continue to have it in further episodes. Yeah, a couple of well-deserved fuck you of the weeks there. And by the way, our fuck you of the weeks are so intense, they last for two weeks. So, yeah. So, yeah, and, you know, particularly, uh, you know, dumb fuck number two there uh, deserves to be in jail. Um, I don't, I really, I genuinely, I think he was, like, maybe arrested at one point, but I'm like, how are you still out and able to get this close to people? Like, you are, you're a fucking predator. Um, and it's this entire, this entire culture. And comparing, I cannot compare, he, he, him and Marie Fuckhead are two completely different kind of internet prank. He's not, he's not even a prankster, really. He's, he's a predator. Um, he, he thinks it's funny to assault women, and he thinks he's making some sort of political statement. The only statement he should be making is before a judge begging for mercy. Yeah. Yeah. So, here's to you, a fuck you of the week. Fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> fuck you, kid. All right. Yeah. So, that was our episode today. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, follow us on Twitter. Uh, rate and review us wherever you are downloading this from. Yeah, rate us well, rate okay? Rate us five stars yeah. only. If you're thinking four stars, three, two, one. Then you're get, getting a get fuck you of the week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> First person I catch giving us a one star review gets and a we're fuck, coming for you. Gets a fuck you of the week. Yeah, you're getting trolled. Uh, but thanks for joining us again today. Yeah, thank you. It's our first Bye. wide release. This is our first wide release. So we're really excited. We hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, go to hell. And uh, yeah, with, with that, <laughs> Lovely sign off. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for our discussion of all things The Shining with Jimmy George. This is Roni. And I'm Rick. And keep on ranting. Keep on ranting.